This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hi, I'm Raylene Berry. I am truly excited to be your host for today's podcast. We have been in a six-part series called Strong at the Broken Places. In this series, we have looked at the truth of how God can strengthen us in our brokenness and that he can use trials, failures, suffering, loss, and doubt. Today, we conclude this series where we started. We will hear from Grace alumnus, former adjunct professor, Bible teacher, and pastor Mark Ray as he closes this series with his sermon, A Broken Record. We want to look one more time at what I'm going to call a broken record. We're going to look first of all at the broken side of a broken record, and then we're going to look at the record side of a broken record and see what God wants to do in the midst of that for each one of us individually and here corporately as a body. We start this by taking a look at Psalm 34 and the broken part of a broken record. This is Psalm 34. This is a a psalm that David wrote And I want to read you the superscription. This is a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So this is a a psalm that when David went into the city of Gath, the place where Goliath was from, actually carrying Goliath's sword on his side, the king of Gath came out to him, and in order for David not to be executed, he feigned madness. Now, this is the king of Israel who is feigning madness, foaming at the mouth, babbling incoherently so that the king drove him away. If you don't think that was a humbling experience for David, to not stand up and say, I'm the king of Israel, I defeated Goliath, but to feign madness. And here's what David has to say in this psalm, starting verse 17. He says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. Isn't that a great place to start? The righteous, those who belong to God, those who are righteous in his eyes, cry out and who hears? Do you realize that when you cry out to the Lord, it's the God of the universe who's listening? Is there anybody better to hear your cries than the God of the universe who is the one who can actually do something about it? The righteous cry out, the Lord hears, and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have what? A broken heart and saves such as have a a contrite spirit. Here's what David's talking about here. Those of us who have been broken by this life, who have a broken heart from loss, from trial, from pain, from sorrow, from stress, from who knows what the causes are of that breaking, that breaking moves us to have a humbled spirit. It moves us to humility because we've been broken by things we can't control at all. Or maybe by our own doing, we have been broken. And what David says is here, the the king of Israel who has been broken time and time and time again, but is a man after God's own heart, what he says is, God is near to those whose heart is. Is your heart broken today? By trial, by suffering, by separation by loss in relationships, is is your heart broken today? Has it been broken in the past? Are you still feeling the scars of that brokenness? Take heart, because in that brokenness, 
the humble spirit that it drives you to, that contrite spirit that it drives you to is one that God comes right alongside and holds on to very dearly. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, there's a wonderful thing to needlepoint on a pillow, isn't it? Many of the afflictions of the righteous, what a great piece of positive news. But here's, it's the same thing Peter tells us. Peter tells us you're going to have fiery trials. Paul tells us the same thing. Jesus even tells us you will have trials in this world. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. The one who is on your side is the one who's overcome it all. The Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all the bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. And then he concludes with this. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. The Lord buys back, restores, renews, refreshes the soul of those whose hearts have been broken. That friends, is fantastic news because God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He sits in the middle of that trial with us. And even when we are broken, the beauty of God can shine through. I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you were to take a little candle and put it inside a clay pot with a lid on it, you put the lid on it, does the light shine at all? This is a solid clay pot with a lid on it. There, no light shines out of it, but if you took that same clay pot and broke it and then glued it back together and put the light inside and the lid on top, the beauty of the light that just creeps through that brokenness is unbelievable. It's a beautiful picture of what God does in the midst of us, bringing His light in the midst of us, in the midst of this earthen vessel that is broken. And because of its brokenness, His light shines out. And that's what David's telling us here. In fact, he's going to move even more so when we move to Psalm 51, one of my all-time favorite psalms in the world. Psalm 51, this one, the superscription says, this is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is one of David's low points in life. This is a sin that was brought about by David, his own doing, nobody else. He should have been out fighting the battle. He's at home. He goes and has an affair with Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and absolutely humbles him by getting him to admit that he's at fault, that he has sinned against the Lord. And this psalm he writes, and I want to read you a portion of it because I think what David moves to in the midst of these psalms shows how magnificent our God is. In verse 10 he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David, in the midst of this, knows that he can go to God, even in the midst of his sin, to be forgiven and to have his heart made pure again, to be made clean again, to take the guilt that is absolutely driving him to the breaking point and to clean him, to cleanse him. And you know, the interesting thing is, and I think this is the wisdom of David, is that he asked God for that. He doesn't try to hide it, though he did it at a time. He's now come out, he's been humbled, he's been laid low. God comes alongside and he asks him to create this clean heart in him, renew his spirit within him. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then he says, when you do that, I will teach transgressors your ways and the sinners shall be converted to you. If you will do this for me, I will shout your name throughout the universe. Listen to him in verse 15. O Lord, open my lips, and from my mouth 
shall show forth your praise. So let me ask you, in the midst of your trial, is this what we ask God for? In the middle of my trial, God, cleanse me, renew my spirit, uphold me, lift me up, and I will praise to anybody who wants to hear it what you've done in the midst of this for me. I will open my mouth and I will shout forth your praise. I confess too many times I complain. I whine. And I complain to God that he hasn't done what I've asked him to do when what God is wanting to do is to create this new creature in me, strengthen me, shore me up, hold me up, because it's about his glory and my good. He continues and he says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. He doesn't, God isn't looking for my superfluous, my superficial appeasement of him. What he's looking for is what David says in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And these, O oh God, you will not despise. What God is looking for in the midst of us is for us to look at him and say, I can depend on no one but you. I'm broken to the point where I am dependent totally on you. And God, I'm trusting that you will come alongside and create in me this new heart, renew my spirit, raise my strength. When all hope is gone, you will be with me always. And you know what, friends? It's a promise that God keeps over and over and over again. My brokenness God steps into the middle of that brokenness and says, I'm walking right through it with you. And when I ask him to create in me a new heart, to lift me up, to uphold me, to renew my spirit, he does that. And then he asks me to tell somebody else about it. I get that privilege to be able to share with somebody else how God has upheld me, how God has lifted me up, how God has renewed me and given me new strength. So that strength that comes from brokenness, I want you to hear what Paul says about that strength. And this is why, this is why we're not to shy away from brokenness. This is why we're not to shy away from those trials and those sufferings and the things that are going on. Because listen to what Paul says happens in the midst of that. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the treasure that we have, the excellence that the power may be of God and not of us. What we have in these earthen vessels is the power of God. Now just think about that for a moment. You've trusted Christ. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Christ is in you. You have the power of God in you, even in these frail, fragile earthen vessels. And through the cracks in us, the power of God shines out. The light of God shines out. And we become this beautiful thing because we've been broken. We can't, in the middle of our brokenness, hide that light anymore. And Paul says, this is what happens. This is the strength that can come from it. Because the power of God is in us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I want you to hear this, the contrast here. We're hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. That's what brokenness can do to us. But in Christ, we are not crushed, we're not in despair, we're not forsaken, and we're not destroyed. Why? Paul tells us, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Because in us, the resurrected Christ who went to the cross and died, who was broken for you and for me, lives in us. 
Why can we be not crushed? Why can we be not dashed? Why can we be not broken? Because the resurrected Christ lives in us. The one who was broken for us. Wow! Is that incredible? Living in us is the resurrected Christ. In this fragile, frail body is the resurrected Christ. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 2, that because we know this, because we understand this, this is how we should then live. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. How many times does does God lead us in triumph? Do you believe that? Even in the midst of your trial and your suffering, even if you don't understand the suffering, does God lead us in triumph in Christ? If Christ is in us, you bet he does. If we're looking for it, if we will look toward it. The idea that Paul is giving us here is the idea of a king who's riding into town in his chariot after defeating the enemy. He's coming into town. He's got this huge procession. It's called the triumphal procession going in front of him. And in front of him are the, they're called the lictors. They're the servants, the slaves. They're they're throwing perfumed flowers in front of the king. And riding in the king's chariot with him is his family dressed in white robes. The visual image that Paul gets us is that we are riding in the chariot with Christ the King in white robes, already made pure. That clean, created new heart is in us. And we're riding in the chariot with the triumphant King coming into town with this fragrance all over us. Listen to how he, can, how he goes on. He says, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. That we have the incredible privilege of smelling like Christ. Let me ask you a question. How do you smell today? Do you smell like Christ in the midst of even suffering and trial and difficulty? Do you smell like Christ, victorious, triumphant? Or do we smell like despair, defeat, depression? Through us, diffusing out to the world is the fragrance of Christ That when people see us, even in the midst of trial, guess who we get to show off? The God of the universe, because we are not crushed, we're not broken, we're not in despair. Listen to how Selwyn Hughes puts it. He says, when you stumble, stumble forward. When you fall, fall on your knees, secure in the knowledge that you can rise up stronger because God is at work in you. Amen? And C.S. Lewis puts it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What Lewis is trying to tell us is that God can't get our attention when the pleasures are going on. We're not listening to him when things are smooth. When we listen to him, he shouts at us in the midst of our struggle and our pain because he's trying to get our attention and tell us he's in the middle of it with us that he hasn't left us alone, that he has solutions, he can deliver us, he can rescue us from that. We don't have to be crushed, we don't have to be put down because we have the God of the universe on our side. The God of the universe on our side. The one who sent his only son to have his body broken and his blood shed so that we would have access to the very throne room of God where we can bring every trial, every suffering, every failure, every doubt, every loss, every pain, every struggle, and know that 
He's got ears to hear us. Isn't it fantastic? The amazing news that Christ can redeem even my brokenness is an amazing thing to me. Because I've broken a lot of things in my life. And he's redeemed a whole lot for me. That's the broken side of it. Let me talk to you about the record side for a minute. Melissa and I were out walking. We, we loved to walk in the evenings around Midland College. And we were out walking the other night around Midland College. And we'd come to that, that stoplight at Garfield and Midland College. You know the light I'm talking about? The light that everybody runs through? And we were standing there waiting. I, I pushed that, that cross-the-street button about 19 times, hoping it will speed it up, and it never does. And I was standing there drinking my bottle of water, and we were talking a little bit, and then the light turned, and we started walking across, and I started to feel this stinging around my ankles. We hurried across the street, and I looked down, and on my right ankle were probably 50, 60 ants. I had been standing in the middle of an ant bed at that light, and I'd been standing there long enough to have them climb up over my shoes and come up my leg, We batted them all off, took my shoes off, took my socks off, beat them out of there, and finally walked home. And when I looked at my leg later that night, what I saw were just 20 or 30 little red bumps all over my leg. When I got up the next morning, those red bumps had gotten a whole lot bigger. And there were a whole lot more than 20 on my leg. And what it reminded me of of, was this. Because I started to think about, as I was putting this message together, God made me think back through my own record, the record of my life. And in the record of my life, what I realized was there are a lot of places in the record of my life that are like ant bites all over my ankles. There are a lot of those places in my life where the record of trials, the record of sufferings, the record of things I've done wrong, the record of mistakes, the record of loss, the record of pain left me with a lot of little bites that are reminders of those things. Now, the great thing is that as days have gone on, the last couple of days, those bites have gotten smaller and smaller. And I can tell you that over the course of time, God has reduced the pain of so many of those struggles in my life, just like those ant bites have gone down. And maybe you've had those struggles in life. God is faithful in the midst of your record I'll look back over your life. He is faithful to stand in the middle of it and to redeem those places. To have the ant bites go down a little bit. To have them not hurt so much. To have the scars begin to go away. And I want to ask you a favor right now. I want to ask you just to bow your heads. And I want to ask you for just a moment for you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind your record. Bring to mind the record of your life. And in specific, those areas where you have hurt, those areas where there's been struggle, where there's been pain, where there's been little ant bites on your ankles, I want you to ask him to bring those to the surface. Would you do that? Just take a moment, bow your heads, ask the Holy Spirit to bring your record to mind. It can be a little humbling, a little convicting, can't it? to look back over the record of your life and to see, as the Holy Spirit brings to mind, to see the areas in which there have been difficulties. 
I want to ask you to keep your heads bowed for just a moment. And while you're thinking through that record, I now want you to just envision Christ coming alongside you in the midst of all of those hurts, all of those struggles. Just envision him coming in, putting his arms around you and holding you very tightly. Would you envision that for just a moment? God, we thank you that we are not left without you in the midst of our record. You know our records. You know our imperfections. You know our ant bites. You know all those places that there is still pain. There is still heartache. And it's why you promise us you'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for being our God in the middle of that. And that you are the one who can redeem our record. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to hear Paul's record. If there was ever a guy who had a record, this was it. This is out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Paul says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now, this is Paul who's saying, Really, if you want to stack all the cards on the table, I was the best of the best. I was the best of the best. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, which means I was physically, I did things right physically. I was of the stock of Israel, so I was nationally right. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was in the correct tribe. I did the tribal thing correctly. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, so religiously I was the top of the tops. I was the best Hebrew out there. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. I was legally right. Concerning zeal persecuting the church, I was spiritually right. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I was right in my own eyes, and I was right in the eyes of others. There isn't anything that my pedigree or my performance wasn't the peak, the top, and I trusted in my pedigree and my performance because I was better than anybody else. That's what he means when he says, I have more confidence in the things that I did, not only where I was born, my birthright, and all the things that went with it, but also my performance. I was above anybody else. And then he says, but what things were gained to me, those things I placed my trust in, those things I trusted on, I've counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything that I had as loss for the excellence of the experiential knowledge of Christ, which came about through my loss. My loss was gain, and my, my loss was gained because in that loss, Christ met me at a place different from any other thing that could happen. I got to know him experientially more than any other time I could know him, and more, more distinctly because of my loss. And then he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. My pedigree, my performance, they were rubbish. The Greek word there is a little word called skubala. Skubala is a word that means rubbish upon rubbish, garbage upon garbage. It is at the heart of the landfill. If you could get to the worst garbage you can think of, that's skubala. And Paul says, my pedigree and my performance, everything I counted on, I count as scubala for the, 
The understanding, the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of knowing Christ as deeply as I know him, and I know him that deeply because he's walked me through the loss of everything, everything that I trusted in and everything that I've had. How do you view your record? Is it what you're trusting in? How do you view your pedigree and your performance? Is that important to you? Is it placed over Christ? What Paul says is, that stuff's going to burn up. It's going to go away. It's not worth trusting in. What is worth trusting in is knowing that Christ is in the middle of it, and even if you lose it all, you lose it all knowing you will know Christ more deeply. That's a hard message, isn't it? Christ has a record too. And I want you to hear Christ's record. Luke tells us Christ's record. In fact, Luke is going to quote the prophet Isaiah in telling us Christ's record because Christ's record is going to be prophetically stated before him, and then we're going to hear him tell John the Baptist the exact same thing. Listen to Christ's record. This is Luke chapter 4. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So Christ's record begins with what he's getting ready to do, and that is to take the gospel, the good news of his arrival, the good news of the kingdom of God here in Christ. He's going to take that good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Wow. He's come to heal those who have, their, have had their hearts broken. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what he's come here to do. He basically closes the scripture, sits down and says, this prophecy is fulfilled in me this day. So how did he do in his record? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 11, he's now talking to John the Baptist who is in prison. We talked about this passage last week. And John the Baptist in prison says, are you the coming one or should we be looking for another? And here's what Jesus says. He says, look at my record. Go tell John the things which you hear and see, the things that I have done. Listen to what I've done. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The blind see, The deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and those who are poor in spirit hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ's record is what he came to do for those who are broken hearted. He has come here for us who are cracked, for us who have brokenness in us. So that by the precious nature of who he is, he can heal us and make us more beautiful than we ever were before. Because we have been broken and we have turned to him. He can restore my broken record. And how did he do it? Well, here's where it really gets interesting. You see, Christ had a broken record. Let me read to you Christ's broken record. In Psalm 22, verse 14, Christ said, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, 
For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Christ, for you and for me, went through this broken record. He was broken to the point that he was dehydrated, dislocated, debilitated, crucified, put on a cross, surrounded by dogs. And by the way, those are literal dogs. The dogs that when the bodies were taken off the cross, if there was no place to bury them, they threw them to the dogs to be eaten. He's surrounded by evil, and even the only cloak that he had was gambled away. He lost everything for you and for me. How was Christ broken? Literally, he had a broken body. Broken for you and for me. And by the way, friends, that is a record that has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. No one has ever done what Christ did. Gone to the cross, had his body broken, his blood shed for you and for me, that through that, by trusting in his work on the cross, we have the forgiveness of sins. We have the redemption of our brokenness. We have the restoration of our struggles. We have renewed life in us because he was willing to be broken for you and for me. And the beautiful side of it is this. He didn't stay in the ground. He didn't stay in the ground. There is a reason why in the midst of our struggle and in the midst of our pain, we can rejoice because our Savior is not still in the tomb. Thank you for listening to the Strong at the Broken Places series. For more information about this series and Graceful of Theology, visit our website at gsot.edu. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.